0: Welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, Valentich Disappearance, 1978. And this comes from MUFON.com. And you can find this article over here. It starts off, it says, The Valentich Disappearance refers to the unexplained disappearance at around 7.12 p.m. on the 21st of October, 1978, of 20-year-old Frederick Valentich while piloting a Cessna 182 light aircraft over Bass Strait in Australia. He intended to land at King Island and return to Moorabond Airport. During the 127-mile flight, Valentich advised Melbourne Air Traffic Control that he was being accompanied by an aircraft about 1,000 feet above him. He described some unusual actions and features of the aircraft saying that his engine had begun running roughly, and finally reported that the strange aircraft is hoovering on top of me again. It is hoovering, and it is not an aircraft. Now, I don't know about you, but that is pretty disturbing to me. This poor fellow, a young 20-year-old guy, is flying an airplane, and he's calling into the airport tower to let them know that he has a 1,000-foot-long UFO hoovering above him, and it seems like it's causing his airplane engine to not run properly. Valentich and his aircraft were never recovered, though wreckage with matching partial serial numbers was spotted in the Bass Strait five years later, and an Australian Department of Transportation investigation concluded that the reason for the disappearance could not be determined. That's even more scary. They never recovered the airplane. Now, it does say here that they saw some wreckage with partial serial numbers on it. And I guess that would be the best case scenario. Scenario: This poor fellow, uh, his aircraft just had mechanical problems, failed, and he perished at sea. Uh, the other alternative is, is that he somehow was abducted by this large UFO and to never be seen again. Belated reports of a UFO sighting in Australia on the night of the disappearance led Ken Williams, a spokesman for the Department of Transportation, to tell Associated Press that, quote, it's funny all these people ringing up with UFO reports well after Valentich's disappearance. Well, maybe I'm wrong, but my snark meter is going off there just a little bit. I'll tell you, it doesn't seem funny at all to me, because people see UFOs all the time and don't report them but when an airplane like this goes missing with a young fellow who's who's disappeared i could i could very much see why people who spotted a ufo in that vicinity that night would call uh, the authorities and report this i mean they're obviously they're just trying to help uh, in the search and to help possibly bring some kind of closure to the family so i don't find it funny at all i just find this you know some of the good Side of human nature that people would actually take the time to report what they saw, as I'm sure they were frightened by the thing too. Frederick Valentich was born on October 9, 1958. It says in Melbourne, he lived at home with his parents and three siblings in Avondale Heights, and at the end of his disappearance, and at the end, and at the time of his disappearance, was a shop assistant at an Army disposal store at Moonie Ponds. Frederick attended Keeler Heights High School in East Keeler up until year 10, then he continued his studies at a private college. He had twice applied to enlist in the Royal Australian Army Air Force but was rejected because of inadequate educational qualifications. He was a member of the Air Training Corps, determined to have a career in aviation. His student pilot license was issued. 24th of February 1977 and his private pilot license the following September. Valentich was studying part-time to become a commercial pilot but had a poor achievement record having twice failed all five commercial license examination subjects as recent as the previous month had failed three more commercial license subjects. He had been involved in flying incidents straying into a controlled zone in Sydney for which he received a warning and twice deliberately flying into into a cloud for which prosecution was being considered. Wow. According to Guido Valentich, Frederick's father, Frederick was a firm believer in UFOs, and prior to his disappearance, he had worried about attacks from UFOs. Well, this even clouds the water even more when we can see this 20-year-old young guy who seems to have had some problems, uh, I guess following the rules you could say. And if he did see a UFO, it, it, it's not hard to understand how you might have panicked a little bit, maybe lost control of the airplane, suffered some kind of vertigo, and uh, perished at sea. The article goes on and says, details... Valentich had a Class 4 instrument rating and 150 hours flight experience when he filed a flight plan at Moriburn Airport, Melbourne, on October 21, 1978. His stated intention was to fly to King Island and Bass Strait via Cape Otway to pick up passengers and return to Morbihan. However, he had told his family, girlfriend, and acquaintances that he intended to pick up crayfish. During the accident investigation, it was learned there were no passengers waiting to be picked up at King Island. He had not ordered crayfish and could not have done so because crayfish were not available anyway. He was flying a Cessna 182L with a cruising speed of around 256 or 1 kilometers or 160 miles per hour. Invisibility was good and winds were light. He departed Moribn at 1819 contacted the Melbourne Flight Service Unit to inform them of his presence and reported reaching Cape Otway at 1900 hours. At 1906, Valentich asked Melbourne Flight Service Officer Steve Roby for information on other aircraft below 5,000 feet, and was told there was no known traffic at that level. Valentich said he could see a large unknown aircraft which appeared to be illuminated by four bright landing lights. He was unable to confirm its type, but said it had passed about a thousand feet overhead and was moving at high speed. Valentich then reported that the aircraft was approaching him from the east side and said the other pilot might be purposely toying with him. At 1909, Roby asked Valentich to confirm his altitude and that he was unable to identify the aircraft. Valentech gave his altitude as 4,500 feet and said the aircraft was long, but it was traveling too fast for him to describe it in more detail. Valentech stopped transmitting for about 30 seconds, during which time Roby asked for an estimate of the aircraft's size. Valentech said the aircraft was orbiting above him, and that it had a shiny metal surface and a green light on it. This was followed by 28 seconds of silence before Valentich reported that the aircraft had vanished. There was a further 25-second break in communications before Valentich reported that it was now approaching from the southwest. 29 seconds later, at 19.1209, Valentich reported that he was experiencing engine problems and was going to proceed to King Island. There was a brief silence until he said, It is hoovering, and it is not an aircraft. This was followed by 17 seconds of unidentified noise, described as being metallic scraping sounds. Then all contact was lost. That's very troubling. Now, you could say this is a 20-year-old young guy who's a little paranoid, and maybe he's just imagining all this. But you have to consider two other things. There were multiple UFO sightings in the area by other people on the ground that were not connected with this fellow, doesn't sound like. And then this bit at the end, which is very disturbing. It says, this was followed by 17 seconds of unidentified noise described as being metallic scraping sounds. Then all contact was lost. That's really kind of chilling actually. Now could that be the airplane was just going into some sort of nosedive or it had, you know, engine failure? Or could it be something else? Search and rescue says a search and rescue alert was given at nine twelve. Valentich failed to arrive at King Island by nineteen thirty three excuse me, 1912, search and rescue. So 20 minutes later, he hasn't arrived. And sea and air search was undertaken, and two RAF P-3 Orion aircraft searched over a seven-day period. That sounds pretty extensive. Search efforts continued until October 25, 1978. Analysis of a fuel slick found roughly near where Valentich had last radioed Ruby prove that it was not aviation fuel, and no trace of the aircraft was found. The aircraft was equipped with four life jackets and an emergency radio beacon, and was designed to stay afloat for several minutes. However, Australian researcher Keith Basterfield, who reviewed the lost 315-page government report, found that parts of aircraft wreckage with partial matching and serial numbers to Valentich's Cessna were found in the Bass Strait five years after the disappearance. Official findings, it says a two-week-long Department of Transportation investigation into Valentich's disappearance was unable to determine the cause, but that it was presumed fatal for Valentich. A report published on the 27th of April, 1982, surmised the radio conversation on the evening of, tw- of the 21st October, 1978, between Valentich and Robney. Unexplained sounds during Valentich's final recorded transmission to the Melbourne Service Unit. 17 seconds of unexplained noise, described as being metallic, scraping sounds, were recorded by the DOT air traffic control audio tape. Researchers Paul Norman, Norman and John W. Achetti received an edited copy of the original voice tape from the DOT. Acetti had a copy analyzed by the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, that's RMIT, and another was taken to the United States by Norman for analysis by Dr. Richard F. Haynes, a former researcher with NASA Ames and associate professor of psychology at San Jose State University. Haynes described the sounds as 36 separate bursts with fairly constant start and stop pulses bounding each one and said that there were no discernible patterns in time or frequency. The significance of the sounds, if any, has remained undetermined. He goes on to say, the manifold photographs shortly before Valentich last reported contact with Roby, Plummer, Roy Manifold set up a time-lapse camera and tripod on the shoreline in order to photograph the sun setting over the water. When his pictures were developed, they appeared to show a fast-moving object exiting the water near Cape Otway Lighthouse. Manifold gave the time at the, that the pictures were taken as being approximately 6.47 p.m., or 1,847 hours, or 20 minutes before Valentich reported having difficulties. Now, are you catching this? A guy set up his camera along the seashore there, taking some pictures. He gets the pictures back from his time-lapse photographies, and what does he see? But a USO coming out of the ocean, 20 minutes before this fellow disappears. The pictures were later examined by Phoenix, Arizona-based UFO group Ground Saucer Watch and by a number of independent experts. Though the pictures were not clear enough to identify the object, UFO groups argue that the distance that the object moved between the frames relative to clouds in the background indicate a speed of roughly 200 an hour. Obviously, this is not a dolphin or a whale jumping out of the, out of the ocean. Dr. Haynes wrote of the photographs, Based on the computerized data on the pictures, it is consensus of the GSW technicians that the images represent a bona fide unknown flying object of moderate dimensions apparently surrounded by a cloud-like vapor exhaust residue. The suggestion that the objects are solid has been dismissed by UFO skeptics who believe the object to be a cloud formation. No skeptical explanation has been given to account for the object's speed. Goes on, UFO sightings. Reporter: After news of Valentich's disappearance became public, a number of individuals reported witnessing unusual activity in the area. Some people claim to have seen an erratically moving green light in the sky. In one instance, witnesses located about two kilometers, about a mile and a half west of Apollo Bay, Victoria, stated that they saw a green light trailing or shadowing Valentin's plane and that he was in a steep dive at the time. UFOlogists said these accounts were significant as most were recorded several years prior to the 1982 release of the transcripts in which Valentich had described the object above him as having a green light. That's interesting. So you see you have contemporaneous witness testimony that corroborates something that they hadn't heard before. They didn't know that this young guy had reported that this UFO with a green light was hovering over him. That it seemed like it was acting, as he said, toying with him, making aggressive moves toward him. And it looks like he was trying to get away from this thing, or maybe his maybe his engine had just failed. It says he was headed, you know, down toward the water, away from the UFO. Comments from Valentich's father says, according to an Associated Press report, Guido Valentich, the father of the missing pilot, said. He hoped his son had been taken by a UFO and had not crashed. The fact that they have found no trace of him presents a possibility that UFOs could have been there. Wedel Valentich also told the AP that his son used to study UFOs as a hobby using information he had obtained from the Air Force. That's interesting. He studied UFOs as a hobby using information he had obtained from the Air Force. He was not the kind of person who would make up stories; everything had to be very correct and positive for him. It goes on, it says conventional explanations and several explanations before the possibility remains that Valentech staged his own disappearance. Even taking into account a trip of between 30 and 45 minutes, the autoway aircraft still had enough fuel to fly 800 clicks. Despite ideal conditions, at no time was the aircraft plotted on radar. Casting doubts as to whether it was ever near Cape Ottaway and Millborn police received reports of a light aircraft making a mysterious landing not far from Cape Otway, at the same time as Valentich's disappearance. Another proposed explanation is that Valentich became disoriented and was flying upside down what he thought he saw if this was the case would be his own aircraft lights reflecting in the water Reflecting, he would have been crashed in, he would have then crashed into the water this was ruled out by aviation authorities as a Cessna 182 as a high wing with a gravity fed fuel system making prolonged inverted flight impossible in this model goes on and says, in 2000, a private investigation of the incident concluded that Valtich had become disoriented and experienced engine and radio problems that caused him to crash into the sea. It further suggested that the Bass Straits' strong prevailing currents might have carried the relatively light aircraft a long distance before it finally sank. Another proposed possibility is suicide, although it has been suggested that he's had a content lifestyle goes on, Brian Dunning, in a recent episode of Skeptoid, but we don't care about him, in 2013 review of the radio transcripts and other data by astronomer and retired U.S. Air Force pilot James McKenna, and author Joe Nichol proposes that the inexperienced biotech was deceived by the illusion of tilted horizon, for which he attempted to compensate and inadvertently put his plane into a downward so-called graveyard spiral, which he, which he initially mistook for simply orbiting the plane but the authors, the G-forces of the tightening spiral, would decrease the fuel flow, resulting in the rough idling reported by the pilot. McGaugh and Nickel also proposed that the apparently stationary overhead lights that Valentin reported were likely the planets, Venus, Mars, or Mercury, along with the bright star Antares, which would have behaved consistent with the pilot's description. On conventional explanations, it says... Uh, For Valentich's disappearance, includes speculation that the unexplained aircraft with the green light that he reported was a vehicle of some kind, which in turn either abducted Valentich or caused the destruction of his plane in some fashion. Speculation that a UFO was involved has been fueled by a number of factors, including Valentich's last transmission, in which he described the aircraft shadowing him as hoovering and not an aircraft. The unexplained sounds that were heard at the end of this transmission are a rash of UFO reports in the area. However you look at this case is very interesting, especially when you take into consideration the young man's report at the time, sightings of what people said was a UFO at the time, and then just the lack of evidence for that plane showing up anywhere. Possibly the wreckage that was sighted had something to do with it, but we never have found uh, that the fellow whenever never have found the airplane. It's a fascinating case. And I found this on MUFON.com. They've got a lot of good cases over there. I would recommend going over and taking a look. In the meantime, if you like the broadcast, if you like what you hear, stop by anchor.fm uh, Look me up, and you can become a sponsor. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out. <laughs>